It's time to take a deeper look, see what's on the horizon. Check if the earn is out or underperform the guidance. The good companies always striving for innovation, while the bad, short-sighted, often get complacent. But we plan for the future and look for action to take now. So gather around, it's time for the breakdown. You're muted. Ha, got you. <laughs> All I said was mark, mark, mark. Yo, why is everybody telling me that today? Like, I, like I've had tons of conversations and I guess maybe I'm saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. Everybody's just like, mark, 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 mark. Mark, mark, mark. <laughs> well, you know one thing that I did do right though today? What did you do right today? I don't know. <laughs> you, did, you did a couple of things right today. I did. I did. You know, uh, let's see here. I didn't panic when the market did what it did today. Uh, let's see here. I definitely got to have fun talking to quite a few startups and designers and software engineers. So life is good. But who cares about my humdrum day? Jolyn, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing fantabulous. This is a fine oh. Tuesday. Yes, fantabulous. It's a fine oh. Tuesday. You know, I'm really, really excited for today's episode. So you know, you ready? To, you know, I got to make sure I can hit E flat, maybe going to G minor. So we'll see. Okay. Well, you know, if you need to do your do re mi fa so le ti dos, let me know. Um, but while we're doing that, what's good, everybody? I am Mark Monroe, accompanied by my wonderful co host, co producer, co creator, good friend, and of course, coming all the way from the town of Leisureton. Yes. <laughs> Give it up for none other than Lady. Yo, it's Jolene GC and the place to be. What does it, Cousins, on this fine Tuesday? Okay, well, welcome to the Come Up series. If you know us, hey, welcome. You know what we're about. But if you're new to the channel and this is your first time here, welcome. Because also at the same time, we produce tons of great content to help you learn, research, and grow in your investment journey alongside with helping you close that racial wealth gap within one generation. So we believe that we can do it. And a part of doing that, so that way we can definitely keep this going, so that way we can keep the family growing, is by you hitting that like button down below. Just just one little click. Just, you know, it's just a simple ease of the mouse or just a simple tap. And then boom, like, and then if you, if like I said, if you're new, go ahead and hit the subscribe button because there's a ton of content available for you. And of course, if you want to be in the know, like, if you really, really want to be in the know, just like Cousin Roman <laughs> was Roman. hitting us with the yo in the building, then make sure you have that bell selected so that way you can be a part of the no the, the notification squad. What is it? AKA? Oh, yeah. The, the Cool, cool Kids, Kids Club. Club. All right. JoLynn. Yes. Let's get I'm into excited. Let's get into this, Mark. Because, you know, today in the morning, the stock futures were mixed. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they were mixed which makes sense given the context of what's happening. There's a lot of stuff happening this week. We have reports coming out. Um, we do. We have, you know, the Fed and, you know, what the Fed said, you know, all of that. So, you know, I just put it in there, you know, right quick. Right, let's, get okay. let's get into what the Dow did today. Um, so the Dow was negative. 58.13 uh, points today. So we're now at 32,774.41. So, um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't really that bad today. And if I look, I bet you futures are probably trading up right now. I, they might be rising right now, just in anticipation. We'll They're see. flat. They're flat. flat. So yeah. the S&P 500 was negative 17.59 points which leaves us at a level of 4,122.47. And the NASDAQ was a negative 150.53 points, but we are still in that 12,000 level at 12,493.93 points. The VIX came up just a little bit to 21.77. And the 10-year, uh, the U.S. 10-year Treasury note is at 2.788. So it came down just a little bit today. Heading over to sector performance, as you know, there are 11 sectors and we like to track the top three and the bottom three so we can see what that rotation is looking like. We got energy, utilities and real estate holding it down the top spots. And for our bottoms, oh my gosh, my three favorite sectors, communication services, technology and consumer discretionary scraping mm. the bottom right now. Mm. 
Now, yeah, if, chips have been getting hammered pretty lately. Yo, chips and the dip. Okay, like what do I say? I say all chips, no dip, but we have some dip going on. So hopefully Congress can, you know, get it together and get get us back to you know competitive levels with our chip sector anyway don't get me started on that so you all know that we have um, picks aka the sips i mean if you didn't know that or you're not sure what we're talking about those are our stock picks so if you head on over to our instagram instagram page at that come up series you will find one of the posts there that lets you know what all of our picks are for this um for 2022 so far it's always subject to change so that's why it pays to um you know subscribe follow so you know what's what when it drops all right so we have sqqq holding it down at number one um they were up 3.36 percentage points and then we have devon energy up 2.64 percentage points and xle the whole sector 1.76 percent points to the upside and then for our bottom feeders we have twilio coming down to negative 6.04 percent lamb research negative 7.88 percent and then we have joanne fabrics at negative 9.17 percentage points so again you can see kind of what that range is looking like with sqq holding it down at the top with a little over three percent and joanne coming down negative 9.17 percent so you know con marks consumers are consumer sentiment is that you know um there's an expectation that inflation will be easing hmm. so you know the proof is in the data so we will see you know what happens and mark there so there's a lot of different um reports um important you know, thoughts, important thought leaders will be sharing um, things about what that means for inflation, what that means for um, in the context of employment. So we have a lot to talk about today. We you do. Know, Mark, you know, we should bring out one of the cousins. Um, I agree, because this is just too much for us to cover just by ourselves. Uh, so I... I want to personally bring out one of our fellow cousins, you know, brother, you know, you know, who else would you, you know, who else would be so fitting to sit down and literally geek out on economic data and to literally weed through the data and ask the, the tough conversation, the tough questions, the, you know, getting into also separating between the noise and seeing signals and, you know, all the different things, you know, why not bring in none other than who else? Cousin Dave. I mean, <laughs> how are you? Everyone? Good to see you. Good how are you doing? You. Uh, blessed. Just blessed. Now, are you ready for today? <laughs> Man, what what the TV said um you say? I came out the I came out the womb with my shoes <laughs> I came out the womb with my shoes laced up. Oh, oh got my yes. Got my track spikes on today, man. Let's do this. Okay. Well, you know, okay. Say less. All right. So should you know what? Honestly, let's 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 give the cousins just a little bit of a background of how we got here, Dave. You wanna you wanna but give wait, them a little bit of but wait, before you give the background, I really do think they should the cousins should um blaze up the the chat with the fire emoji so we know Oh yeah, they got to. They gotta like send gotta the fire, like you, you got to send the fire emoji. So we'll definitely like, yo, let's see it in the chat. Like, okay, we're starting to see, we see a little bit of a blaze. We see a little bit of a blaze. You know, we're, you know, we see a little bit of smoke. Now it's, you know, bring on the fire. It's only a matter of seconds because, oh, there it is. You got to be breathing out the clothing cookout, man. That's what about. Well, you know, hey, I, I, I want to see this. I want to, we don't have to see the smoke, but I want to smell the barbecue, the cookout from like literally from the freeway exit. So, all right. So, Dave, let's talk about it. How did we get here today? Yeah. I mean, it really started out just trying to understand, you know, all the noise that's out in the market and, and just 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 in the financial media and understanding like what is really going on with the headline data like if we can dissect it and and understanding like what's a true signal what's actually 
correct sentiment, whether it's FUD or 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 FOMO, and mm -hmm. also in confirmation. But who else can do that than someone from the Federal Reserve? So just thought, why not? Let's let's bring let's bring one of our cousins from the Federal Reserve on to kind of talk through really what's going on with the data and dissect it and also peel back the onions so we can better understand holistically what's actually happening in the economy. Yes. All right. So with that being said, just a little bit of who you're getting ready to be seeing come to the stage right now. We're going to introduce you to Charles from the Fed. He is a member of the Federal Reserve St. Louis's uh, re research squad as a senior economist. Um, now, one of the things that we'll get into is where we talk about this thing called the beige book. So I want you to remember this beige book and FOMC meetings. You know, just want you to think about that. He also has his work cited, of course, in places like you may have read these places, like maybe, you know, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and a few other media outlets that you may have. So, I mean, he definitely comes, you know, well prepared. And of course, who better than to talk data than, you know, Chuck. So I hope he's ready because are you ready, Dave? Well, I'm ready, man. Let's do this. All right. <laughs> Let's go. Introducing to the stage, Chuck. <laughs> What's That's good, Chuck? Let's get it. <laughs> I feel like All right, he's wrong. Effect going on here, but I don't have to that <laughs> You know, we got to write to them and say, you know what? We need to like either have the confetti or like the like the hand claps, the plazas, and everything I mean, else. I can see flames in Dave's screen when I was coming <laughs> walking, walking through the fire. All right. So, Chuck, thank you so much for joining us today. We've got a lot to get into, and I know that we're going to be geeking out today. So let's just give the cousins just a little bit of, of time, because if they were just going through our intro, now's the time. I think we can all agree here on stage. Now's the time that you should get your pen and pad or your iPad and pencil. Uh, so that way we you can start taking lots of notes. And I just realized that I do not have my pencil, so I'm going to have to just trust my mental memory here. So... All right, so Chuck, let's 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 start off with the softball questions first, because <laughs> we're gonna get a little we're gonna get a little bit deep into it. So first things first, how did you end up at the Federal Reserve? Like, let's talk about that journey. How did you get there? Well, I, I saw my my aunt was on here in the chat. So first of all, shout out to her in upstate New York and everybody hey. in the area. Um, you know, I, I uh, started in business and was really interested in business and the economy and you know, eventually decided that, that research was where I was passionate about. And one of the great things about being at the Federal Reserve in our research department is, you know, we get to work on things that are relevant today and, and get on and, and talk to people like this. I mean, I get paid to do this kind of stuff. It's great. So, I mean, you got to monitor the economy all the time, get a great platform to, to talk to people and, and help just try to, you know, like you said, cut through a lot of the noise and, and, and get to what's going on in the, in the world and try to ultimately make people's lives better. Okay. So with that being said, all right, so we we understand of how you got to the Fed. So I, I had to ask also, this is like this is just a personal question for me in understanding what was it like going through the pandemic and like literally like what was the Federal Reserve like during the pandemic? Um, packed up and I was sitting well not and we moved since then, but I was sitting at home. <laughs> um <laughs> So, I mean, for example, just to, to kind of to get close to where things were at, I remember we got sent home like many other people did. And and then next thing I know, I, I found myself getting a call from my boss asking why my cell phone bill is through the roof, because we were calling businesses, chamber of commerce people, um, you know, just trying to understand exactly what uh, what was going on in the economy. I mean, some of the first things, you know, we heard about were, you know, people being concerned about taking PPP loans for their businesses because, you know, they, they were concerned that, you know, they weren't going to be able to pay them back or this wasn't going to work the way it was supposed to. Banks were, you know, reluctant. So, you know, that's the kind of information we were hearing, collected that, passed it along to our bosses so that they could, you know, try to make it, make these programs work as effective as they could. Um, so, I mean, we had a lot of really tough conversations. I remember talking to a guy at an airport uh, in our Federal Reserve District and he was, 
In between talking to me, he was going to close parts of the airport and pulling toilet paper out of stalls that they were no longer using so that they could put it in the stalls in the places where the essential workers were because they had that such a shortage and they had to remain open. Um, I talked to one uh, hotel manager that was, you know, concerned that he was going to have to lay off his entire staff as they shut the hotel down. Um, and, you know, talking to him about, you know, ex extended unemployment insurance benefits and that, you know, there's programs that are coming out there that'll, you know, help people so that they can get through this. Um, you know, those are the kind of conversations we had. So, I mean, it was tough. I mean, it was, you know, we were fortunate in our family that we were all healthy. Um, but I mean, they were really tough conversations to have. I mean, just to, you know, you look at the data and you see what's going on in the markets, but it's, you talk to people on the ground and you see what they're getting through. And I mean, it was tough. What is it like now? Um, it's, I mean, you know, that was kind of like the first month or two. And then fortunately and, and unfortunately, kind of the pandemic got worse and the economy got better and the two things kind of disentangled from one another. I mean, it just shows kind of the resilience of the U.S. economy that it can, you know, really bounce back and, and you know, households and businesses can find out how to adapt and, you know, move on in, in, in many ways while we're still dealing with really difficult, you know, health crisis. Um, so from an economic standpoint, it, you know, things definitely got easier and changed, uh, although the uh, health outcomes obviously got worse there for a while. So now I feel like I'm a downer. Sorry about that, guys. Ah, we, we've got to pick it up. We've got to pick it up. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's about to uh, get real, real. Uh, let's, let's start peeling back on some of these layers here. Yeah. Right. And thank you again for just joining us. Just one of the things that we want to understand is something that's been highlighted over and over again, especially from like Jerome Powell and a lot of Fed federal Fed governors, is that that we are all data dependent, right? What are some of the data that that we are relying on to to create federal uh, Fed policy? Uh, you know, what, what is that data telling us about the state of the economy, you know, holistically? Yeah, sure. So I guess this would be a good time to put my disclaimer out there that these yeah. are my own views. They're not necessarily the views of the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis or the Fed system. So I will do my best to explain to you things how I see them from, from my, my purview. Um, what it means, so think about it this way is Monetary, monetary policy impacts the economy with a lag of say like six months to 12 months. So that means like we, you change interest rates, you wait to see how they, they work their way through. Oh yeah, there we go, auntie, she's showing up here. <laughs> and so it's, it's like six, you know, so you're working with this lag. And so what you have to do to start is try to figure out where you are today. And then the data comes out kind of backward. So, you, you know, we're in the middle of August now, we'll, we'll be getting July's data. So you kind of have to forecast where we're standing today. And then from there, you can make predictions as to where you think you're going to be in the future under different. In a, uh, oh, do we don't worry, he'll, he'll be here. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're probably having a little bit of technical difficulties. He should be okay. back. There he is, there he is. You're back, Chuck, you're back. Okay. So I think, you know, the main thing that, that we're using the data for is to really understand like where we are today, what, what, what's under our feet and, and where we're standing. Um, and that's a, that's a tricky um, position to be in. Let me try to mute some stuff here and see if that helps. Um, and so the data that you're looking at, I mean, at the high level, it's gonna be the status of the labor market, which, you know, capture, you capture in a lot of different ways from wage growth to job gains to the unemployment rate. Um, and then uh, on, the, on the prices side, you're looking at consumer prices is kind of the headline numbers that we think about, um, but then business prices, what they're facing, um, and then ultimately raw commodity prices that are all, will ultimately feed into all these different areas. Um, and then what households incomes are doing ultimately is a really big driver of kind of how the economy is faring. Well, Chuck, can we like zoom out a little bit and just yeah. um, kind of tighten up the context here? Um, can you talk about like the essential functions of the Fed and then um, how that relates to policy? Absolutely. So um, the, the way 
I kind of describe the, the Fed to people um, is it, it's at its core, we're the bank for banks. Okay, so we just like your bank provides you with financial services so that if, if you write a check or you go and get take money out, you can you can do those things that keep your your money safe. We provide a lot of those services to financial institutions across the country. So that's what makes us a nation's central bank. Um, and from that standpoint, you know, we we also make sure that banks are safe and sound and that your money's safe in those banks. So bank supervision and regulation is a big part of it. Uh, we're also the bank for the U.S. government. So to the extent that the Treasury is sending out stimulus checks, that works getting done through the Fed. And then on top of that, you you also have community development functions. So making sure that you know fair lending laws are being applied, um, that you know all the applicable laws for for banks are that they're following those laws. And then the last leg is the monetary policy leg, um, and that's where you know we're we're conducting nation's monetary policy to make sure that prices remain stable and as many people can have a job as, as possible and remain maximizing employment. So there's a lot of different dimensions that are going on. Um, we have de decentralized. So like I said, I'm here in St. Louis. We've got 12 um, banks across the country, um, all working independently on a wide variety of topics. So Dallas, you know, very energy focused in many ways. Here in St. Louis, we've got agriculture and transportation are key sectors of our economy. So we spend a lot of time looking at some of those areas. Um, just to really get a full picture of what's going on in the economy. So Thank you. Let's let's talk about like because a lot of times people are like wanting to know where the state of the economy is, and it's like depending on who you talk to, it's like it's like uh well this is how you look at it for like when we look at the state of the economy or you look at or you go maybe watch a CNBC or a Bloomberg then they will tell you that this is how you look at it as an economic indicator for a state of the economy. Okay. Chuck, help us out. Yeah, sure. What are some of the key data points that we look at that reflect the state of the economy? And really, like when we're thinking about it, like, you know, for like, since we're thinking about like one of the largest areas of the economy, middle class. So what are some of those key data points that we look for um, or that we can look at that reflect the middle class? You know, I think that at a bare level at like the at the core, what you want to look at is just household income growth and adjusted for inflation and adjusted for cost of living. Um, if you think about like an individual, I mean, they don't care if, you know, people 25 miles away got a job. What they care about is like, do they have a job? Is their bank account balance going up? Are they saving more money now than they were a month ago? To them, that's the economy, right? You got more money in your bank account. You can do more things. The economy's good. You got less money in your bank account, you can do less things, the economy seems bad. So <laughs> prices go up and you can do less stuff, it seems like the economy is getting a lot worse. So that's why I, I kind of think about kind of household income adjusted for changes in prices as really being like a really core measure of, of where, where the economy stands for the broad base of the population. And then you can dice it down into different income groups, see if incomes are rising for everybody, if they're rising for higher income folks or if they're rising for lower income folks. And you, and you can see that in the in the income data. So I think at, at, at its core, that's really kind of the, the starting point. And then you can get into businesses because, I mean, you think about the economy and it's households and businesses. So on the household side, household income. On businesses, you could be the simple and say, you know, business income, corporate profits, production levels. Those are the kind of economic indicators. And then, you know, interacting of businesses and households is jobs. So are we adding jobs? Um, yeah, we, I think we recently saw that labor statistics number that came out, I think, recently, where yeah, I think that there was, it was, <laughs> it was like, whoa, <laughs> I think it was like 200, I think it was like 250,000. I think it came out at like 528,000 or something yeah. like that. <laughs> it's like, whoa, somebody, somebody got it wrong. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a sign the economy is pretty healthy when, you know, when we're adding jobs. That means households are you know, getting paid and their balance sheets are going up and, and businesses are able to produce more stuff. So, Good. Hey, um, Chuck, you know, when we look at that, um, you know, the non-farm payroll um, that came out on Friday, is there any area or employment sectors that are actually increasing in strength and others that are decreasing that we should be worried about uh, or should we be acknowledging? as we see this shift in uh, labor dynamic from um, 
retiring like baby boomers and now we see more millennials and even gen z enter the labor force yeah so so the the labor department does two surveys the survey that the jobs numbers come from is a survey of businesses so that really gets to like the sectors of the economy that are in jobs we're seeing like the leisure and hospitality sectors really picking up one sector that i've been keeping a close eye on that i think is important for the long run is the healthcare sector um if you look over like the last 50 years regardless of if we're in a recession or expansion the healthcare sector was always adding jobs i mean it got hit really hard from the pandemic um and they provide essential services for our country um and so we want to be able to see healthcare employment pick back up um for you know numerous reasons so that's a sector i'm keeping a close eye on as well as education sector is another one that got hit really hard um, i mean we hear firsthand schools are having a short hard time finding teachers um, some of the schools around here in Missouri are going to four day work, uh, four day weeks because they don't have enough staff and they're trying to retain them. So healthcare and education are two that I'm really keeping an eye on because they've really been driving a lot of growth over the, the last, you know, that couple decades. And, um, they were hit hard from the recession and, and, and we need to still see them come back a long way. There was a question from, um, uncle Charles. He said, why does the Fed, did you add it up there? Great. Why does the yeah. Fed want hiring to slow down before they feel like inflation will come down? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so if you think about uh, our population growth and kind of the aging of our, our demographics, the economy like in a long run state should probably add like between 100 and 200,000 jobs a month. Um, that's kind of the stable place that we want to be at. Um, so when you're seeing the economy at jobs at this rate, and particularly that we're seeing job openings at the rate that they're at, it means the economy is probably running at a rate that's potentially not sustainable for a really long time. Um, so job growth, it, it should moderate back down to, you know, that 100 to 200,000 level. And that basically just keeps up with new people entering the labor force and that they're able to find a job. Um, and so hopefully labor force participation will pick up and you can kind of see at that level. The challenges that you run into when the job numbers are where they're at now is it means we're not seeing that demand slow down um, and, it, and businesses are still pushing really hard to hire workers and wage growth is still really high for that reason. Um, and unfortunately, it's not people who are out of work that are taking a lot of these jobs that are getting the raises. It's people just switching. You know, you compete with one firm to the next and look for a bump up in a raise. And, you know, for you and individually, it's good. But these firms then tend to face higher costs and then they're passing them on to us as consumers. So, uh, so are we accounting for, you know, entrepreneurship when calculating unemployment and like the gig economy and the, what we've seen basically that came out of the recession? So the other survey from the labor department, which is a survey of households that they'll capture those self-employed people. And so they'll be in the unemployment rate. Um, if they're, if they're not looking, if they're looking for work. Now, if you start a business and, it, and say it fails, unfortunately, and you stop looking for work, then you wouldn't show up in the unemployment rate because you're not actually looking for a job. Right. Um, but when you look deep down in the data, I mean, new business startups and formations have been really strong. It's added a lot of jobs to the economy too um, and, help, and help keep us where we're, we're at today. Um, but now there are signs that you know, some of these businesses are having, having tr trouble with higher costs, which you, you in some ways would ex ex expect. Um, you know, just put the place of activity and competition out there. So I guess the question is like, now we're, we're kind of like, and we're going to consistently continue to keep bringing context into the conversation. But let's talk about one of the biggest things in which that has been like taking over the headlines. <laughs> Inflation. <laughs> Inflation is here. Now, of course, we heard about the tr inflation is transitory, you know, conversation. And if you look at it on a, over a long-term basis, then yeah, I mean, all things are transitory. All right. So, but I guess the question is, is that we hear a lot of narratives. We hear a lot of, we hear a lot of conversations as it pertains to where inflation is. Like, for example, inflation is running too rampant and it's going to get way too hot, even from where we are right now. Um, and then there's others that are saying, okay, well, you know, we're at a point where it's like, we're going to see it start to flatten out. Um, and things are going to kind of like slowly yet surely come down. Okay. Let's get into, let's, 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 let's knock out between false narratives with data. 
Yeah. How should our, how should our, how should the cousins literally be looking at inflation? Do you want the good news forward? or the bad news? Let's have it all. Oh, Let's have it all. Bad news first. Yeah, bad news first, then good news. Yeah, like kick us and then make us and then tell us it's gonna be okay. Overall, <laughs> prices don't in the aggregate prices typically do not come down. There are certain sectors like in food and energy where we see prices may come down. But unfortunately, once prices go up, they tend to stay there. And so what that means is inflation is the how fast prices are growing and how fast they're increasing. So when inflation comes down, all that means is that prices stop going up. Um, and then we have to wait for our wages and our incomes to catch up to where we feel like, again, we can buy the same amount of stuff we did before. So that's the that's the bad news in, in the picture, which is, you know, some of these prices that have increased, they're they're likely to stay there. We just don't want to see them increasing any further. Um, that's what we're that's what we're trying to stop. We want to we want to stop this cycle of prices continuing to ratchet up, ratchet up and ratchet up. Um, and and that's that's ultimately the goal. But the, the bad news is that doesn't mean the prices are going to go back to what they were two years ago. It means that they're probably going to stay flat to and where they're at. Um, I think that's a really important point that a lot of people miss about understanding what inflation is because they think about like gas prices, which go up and down and bounce around all over the place. And so they think if gas prices are high, inflation is high, gas prices come down, inflation must be lower. And, and there's a generally a little bit of truth to that. Um, but, you know, in the aggregate, prices tend to go up slowly over time. And that's what we, we want to see them go up just a little bit to where you don't even notice it's happening. So, like, let's go a little bit further into that, because, like, for example, that would be like a software engineer at a tech company that where it's like, all right, well, we're hiring software engineers that are like entry level at, let's say, one hundred and ten, one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year. Now, of course, once when, let's say, in, inflation comes down, now are we going to say, all right, well, now the entry-level software engineering jobs are going to go back down to 90000 or do they stay at that point and now we've just established a new equilibrium? You just kind of establish a new equilibrium. That's what's going on. So inflation goes down, and then you start to say, okay, well, now our, our prices aren't increasing as much, so we don't need to see those wages. Like you mentioned, like 100000 You don't want to see it go to 100 to 110 to 120 because that's just not, it's, it's hard to predict, you know, where things are going to go. And it's hard to get signals out of, you know, the economy. You don't know if somebody's making a lot of money because they're really productive or it's just because they signed a more recent contract than the next person. Um, so uh, that's, from that's one of the members. On, so shout out to cousin Dave saving 25 cent pizzas will never come back. Unfortunate, very much so unfortunate, but you know, here we are. Okay. So let's talk about let's 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 move it a little bit like because we've been hearing like so what are some of the false narratives that like that you that even you yourself as a member of the fed but just things that you see whether in media or just conversations in which that it's being fed to the general population you know um, what is it that what is it that we're not hearing what is it that we're not hearing that we're supposed to be hearing or what is it that we're you know what is it that we're being told that it's like okay that, that's not that's not correct. You know, I you hear a lot about, I, I, you know, I, I go back to the first point, which is that, you know, inflation's not the price level. It's the growth in prices. I think that's really, again, just to hammer at home is really important for everybody to understand um, because we buy things at different frequencies. So, you know, I may buy a refrigerator this year. You may buy one five years from now. We may, hopefully we'll be paying close to the same price. We don't want to see those things ratchet up. That honestly is probably the, the biggest point of confusion I have with a lot of people when we talk about what inflation is, is that they think that prices have gone up until they go back down. We're still in this, this environment. And that's, you know, that's not, what, that's not what's happening. Um, and that's also the confusion that you had when we talked about what, you know, transitory inflation could look like is it would be a one-time shock to the, the level of prices and then they stay there unfortunately it's become much more persistent which means that there was this one-time shock to prices and then they continued to kind of work their way through the system with more and more increases across more and more goods um, so the inflation we had last year was very concentrated it's primarily in cars um, used autos and now going into this year it's been much more broad-based we're seeing it in food, gasoline prices a lot, you know, due to the war in Ukraine. 
um, driving up a lot of those commodity prices. So it's become much more broad based this year than it was um, you know, last year, where it was really concentrated in a few sectors that seemed like they were related to supply chain factors. And then we, we've started to see it sprinkle through a lot of different products and stuff. So that's one part. I think the other part is that, you know, thinking about equity concerns, we hear a lot of conversations about, you know, we don't want to see unemployment rate go back up because, you know, low income workers in, in particular tend to be affected by that. But inflation is a really regressive tax. High income people can save their money um, and and have, you know, luxury prices, goods, you know, where they can you know sub make some substitutes. But low income families where they're you know dropping a lot of their money on, on essential goods from rent to to food and energy. I mean, those prices go up and that's just straight up carving up their, you know, their paycheck pretty quickly. Um, so inflation is a very regressive tax, which is other, and it affects everybody. Um, so that's the other reason it's really important to kind of get that back down so that we have that stability and hopefully doing it in a way that we don't see, you know, a lot of people have to lose their jobs um, or the one where maybe it just takes a little bit longer to find a job. Um, I mean, that would be kind of the ideal situation. It's, you know, you slow things down enough, firms stop competing for workers, stabilizes, job openings go down, but unemployment rate stays relatively stable, but we're not seeing prices increase at, you know, 9% a year. I mean, you know, we gotta get that back down to closer to 2%. Chuck, um, some cousins are asking, you know, do we miss the good, the good news? You said the bad news, but did you mention the good news? Yeah, so the good news. Where's the good news? The good news is I think we are seeing some signs that that prices have started to stabilize on a year over year basis. So, you know, compared to the same time last year, they're still up. But when you look at the month to month changes, there does seem to be some slowing. So energy prices have come down a little bit. They're volatile, so they could jump back up again. Food prices have started to, to come back down. Um, so there, there's some signs that that you know inflation is starting to moderate um but it's still too high um but i think that you know we're starting to see the right things play out in the economy with growth slowing but jobs still coming about um that will hopefully be able to get the economy to to slow enough to where we don't see the unemployment rate you know move up very much but inflation starts to actually come back down so i think we're on the right path but um it, it's definitely still going to be a tricky couple of tricky couple of quarters your um, aunt has a specific question for you. Yeah. How long will it take to recover our 401ks? I wish I knew. <laughs> that was so. There's a, that's something that people ask me all the time, and I, so I was like, I can give you the state of the economy, but I'm not out here to give anybody investment advice. <laughs> if I knew how, to, if I knew how to actually take what I know about the economy and figure out how to apply it, and you know, my own personal finances, that'd be a different story. But you know, I do this because I, I, I like looking at the inner workings of how the the economy operates. Right, you're right. So we keep hearing that the consumer is strong, right? <laughs> and and that is, you know also propelling some of the inflationary pressure that we see because they have the capital to keep up with, uh, you know, to, to move prices up, yeah. right? In more demand. But we're also seeing, if we take a look at the data, that consumer credit is also at a 20-year high. Yep. Are we in the consumer credit bubble? And is that really what we're seeing now and impacting the consumer? Yeah, so, I mean... There was a with the stimulus money that came out, household balance sheets were in really good positions, and we saw you know savings rates that were really pretty high. So household savings is still up pretty substantially. With prices being up, I think that's starting to allow people to you know have to run down some of their savings. And credit balances are up, but relative to overall incomes, credit to income ratio is kind of the way I think about it. Debt service, for example, those numbers still look pretty stable. Um, so as long as incomes and in, in the income to credit ratio looks pretty good, um, I, I think we're in a safe place. So I, I think you have to take that. Same with debt numbers. We always want to look at them relative to income um, to get a, a sense of where they're at. But if we see, you know, debt service ratios start to pick up, which means that, you know, interest rates have gone up and balances on debt have gone up, then it can that can start causing some, some big, pretty big challenges. But households have a lot of equity, too. So, I mean, if you own your home, you're in great shape. Um, if you're renting, it's very much, much, much more difficult as rents are, are going up pretty strongly. And the rent will not come down there. Once they're up there, the light. Those, 
be down. Some of those ones, yeah, right? They, I mean, I don't know the last time I heard of a landlord giving a rent cut. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Never. <laughs> All right, cool, cool. Um, and then the next one, because you, you mentioned that a lot of the data that we're looking at are kind of backward looking. A lot of it's like in retrospect. Yeah. Is the Fed like doing anything to simulate various different um, um, macro and ma uh, micro and macroeconomic events and different global conditions so they can start looking at, hey, what can we do in the future? Yeah, so there's a lot of different approaches that we take to understand kind of what's going on today. So I'm going to I'm going to kind of break it into parts. Um, so the the data that comes in from kind of government sources tends to lag more or less about a month. So we usually the end of the month comes around, they get all the data, they can calculate stuff and then we get we get those reports. So there's about a month lag on those numbers. Um, and then there's a but there's a lot of private data sources out there that you know, are available, some of them are available to the public, some of them we have to pay for, um, where you can get kind of real time guides as to kind of how the economy may be faring. Um, I know there's some private sector jobs out there, reports out there that come out pretty timely. So we'll look at those kind of things to kind of get a sense of where we stand today. Um, and then for very specific indicators like inflation, for example, we'll build out models that kind of take all the different components that are going into these headline numbers and start to make kind of what we call nowcast or real-time predictions as to where we think the numbers are going to be coming in. Um, so, for example, on inflation, uh, our colleagues at the Cleveland Fed um, post inflation nowcast. So you can go on there and look and, and get an idea of, as of right now, you know, here's the numbers that based on the numbers that we're seeing coming in and the, and the trends that we can model, here's where we see the, the August inflation numbers. Uh, coming in at. Um, same with GDP. So if you're looking for GDP tracking forecasts, the Atlanta Fed does a great job with those. Um, and you can go on there and you can look at their, and they have a whole like big, big spreadsheet kind of with all the sources and their assumptions that they use to make these, make these projections as to where kind of the data is ultimately going to shake out for the current quarter. So that's kind of the first part. A lot of those models are publicly available. And like I said, they get posted on the website. Most of the research that gets done at the, at the banks is posted on our website. So that's the one part. Second part is, like I said before, it's literally going out and talking to businesses and people in the community to kind of understand what they're seeing in real time. Um, some of them have data on hand that they can share with us. Um, some of them just share themes and, and, and ideas that, that they're, they're noticing in their communities. And then we can ultimately use that to kind of say, oh, maybe this gives us an idea of a, a turning point might be happening in the economy um, based on what certain sectors of the economy might be might be seeing. So, for example, in housing, we start hearing, you know, from realtors, you know, we'd call them up and we'd say, OK, how many people are walking in your door? Are you going out for showings? You know, what are what are they saying? Do they feel like they're concerned with with higher mortgage rates? They have to look for less of a house, even that kind of stuff we can use. And then on like the third leg, there are these big, big economic models um, where you literally try to, you know, put to number as many dynamics as you can in, in the economy where you say, here's a household and they have to make a choice between working and leisure. And here's the factors that are going to determine if they're going to work or if they're going to take you know, time off. And based on some random draw of their productivity, this is how much money they're going to make. And then you can actually go through and simulate, simulate those types of scenarios. Um, you can only build an economic model so complicated before you know, your computers basically can't solve them anymore. <laughs> Um, but those are the kind of things that we ultimately build out to then run simulations and, and kind of do experiments because unlike, you know, and it's a science, I mean, it, it, unlike in a, being in a lab where you can really like test stuff out on rats, you know, we don't do that with the economy. Um, so you're left with economic models. You'll see some experiments, right? Well, you give people money in one group and see how they react to it and stuff like that. But for the most part, you have to run with these things through theoretical models because we can't just, you know, see, like, say, like, on oh, people. Crash this, yeah, or crash the economy and see how it's going to respond. It doesn't work like that. So, well, that didn't work. Let's, let's run it back. Yeah, run it back. yeah you can't run it back, but you know, on your computer, you can. 
So, um, and those, again, a lot of those models are, they're readily available and posted in public academic journals. And if you like math, I mean, there's filled with equations. So, so are you leveraging like AI and machine learning to kind of model these different scenarios and just learn over time? You could, you could kind of think of it that way. I know, I mean, a lot of the similar algorithms that we use to solve some of these models are, are similar to kind of some of the stuff that you would use in machine learning techniques. So yeah, that would be, a, that'd be a good comparison. So I have so, a question then, sorry, Mark, let me ask this question. Go ahead. Um, so you had mentioned leisure earlier and, you know, I, I definitely subscribe to the whole uh, theory and uh, philosophy of leisure. So my question is, as we have more, um, as we get into kind of like this replacement of labor with um, different technologies, whether it be um, robots, ghost kitchens, things of that nature, where some of that service industry is um, replaced by robots um, and other you know, advanced technologies, um, what we, you had mentioned exper experiments. So if we think about like giving um, like a basic universal income, what do you think um, happens? What do you think happens in that scenario? And when, with that being said, like what, um, what, what, some, what are some of the things then would, that would change with indicators once we shift from this notion of labor, 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 and we shift to more leisure? Yeah, so um, most economic models, the, the target of interest is welfare. So which, and by that we mean overall well-being or you know, like how kind of happy, aggregate happiness, right? So there's assumptions that if you work too much, you start to be less happy, which that's fair. Similarly, if you know, you have less income, you tend to be less happy, but at some point, you know, you a little bit more doesn't help out too much. So we're always going to work off of a welfare assumption that you want to aggregate, you know, maximize welfare. Um, so, so that's kind of the measurement goal that we're looking for. As for what happens with automation, I think is it's a really good question. And it's been one that's kind of hung up in economics for a really long time, going back to Keynes. Um, and I mean, and even he was worried that automation was ultimately going to grow too fast to displace labor. Um, the, the, the key is if we can kind of, if, automation and job replacement happens at a, a rate that's in certain sectors too quickly for other sectors to create new opportunities. So take your example of leisure, right? Which is, okay, well, you know, maybe it makes it so that, you know, we have automated things in our houses, so we don't have to work to do certain things, and then we're going to go on vacation. Well, unless vacations are completely automated, there's probably going to be more job creation in, in those certain sectors. So, I mean, initially, the one that is easy to point to is farming, which is basically, I mean, very automated at this point, and nobody works in agriculture. Um, but, you know, our unemployment rate is, is really low. People still have jobs. But they're just in different sectors. So it's really a question of does the technology grow faster than other sectors can grow that can create jobs? And are, is there a mismatch in how we train people to take jobs in these new opportunities? Um, and I, I was thinking about this because I saw that you put the question out there and it, it made me remember when my daughter went to kindergarten and she's in fourth grade now and the kindergarten teacher telling me and, and to the whole class of parents, we need it, the jobs that our kids are going to have or your kids are going to have, they don't exist today. We don't know what they're going to be, but we know that they're going to interact with people. So they have to learn how to be kind to one another. We know that they're going to have to solve problems. So they're going to have to learn how to solve problems. And those are things that we can teach them. And then as they get older on in their careers, they can start fine tuning these skills. That's, I think, in a lot of ways, the, the challenges is, is just making sure that we're training people in the right ways so that they can take the new jobs as they arise, realizing that certain occupations and certain industries are going to slowly, you know, get depleted from 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 workers um, and that's a, it's a very complicated and, and challenging task um, there's been some success in it in certain sectors and then you know and they take 
know, auto increases in automation and manufacturing, it's been much more painful for the economy in many parts of the country where we haven't been able to get people to pivot. So with that being said, you know, I got to ask now we, we I got to ask the question because I know that everybody would literally like literally like be waiting outside my 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 on my social media, my house and everything else. Why didn't you ask the question? OK, people, I'm going to ask the question. Let's <laughs> talk CPI. <laughs> so CPI comes out tomorrow. All right. Thoughts on it. And on top of that, like, where do we go from here? <laughs> yeah, so I think the numbers that we're probably going to be getting in, I was looking at my colleagues' estimates, are, they're hopefully going to show a moderation in, in price growth, um, probably coming from the, the declines in the food and energy sectors in particular. Um, again, those tend to be really volatile, so um, they could turn the other way, unfortunately. Um, but mm -hmm. I think the July readings are going to look hopefully pretty favorable, although still on a, you know, compared to last year, it's still going to be high um, and, and definitely higher than where we want it to be. Okay. And so now that I got that question out of the way, because okay. <laughs> you'll live tomorrow, Mark. <laughs> Y'all can, can leave me alone now. <laughs> All right. So here, you want me to tell you Cleveland Fed August estimate is 8.76% from a year there ago. There you have it. That's what so, they have on their website right now. All right. So I think I think the overall consensus is what 8.9 for coming out tomorrow. So, yep. Have at it, people. All right. So let's talk about like because there is something that I did want to talk about, though, because it was actually pretty interesting when I paid attention to it way earlier in the year. But, you know, there was the, the conversation that the Fed is definitely going to have to raise rates um, this year. Um, so. There was this, there was something that came out where we were hearing from other countries about saying, "Hey, don't raise rates too fast, or try not to raise rates, you know, <laughs> too heavy, because of the fact that it has impacts on the rest of us." Now, of course, just to set the stage for for the, for my question, we've seen you know pretty much other currencies outside of the U.S. you know fall to their twenty percent lows. Um, where I think we've seen the euro and the dollar come pretty much neck and neck with one another, which is, you know, if you're on vacation in Europe and, you know, <laughs> have fun. Um, but, you know, is there any type of truth to that where we see that the things that we do, the, the, the things that we see, like, for example, rate hikes that we see that are taking place here in the U.S., what are their potential impacts or the blowbacks that we could see that are happening in let's say other countries yeah so well so u.s monetary policy is focused on the u.s economy so i mean yeah. that's, that's one of the that's the key um and what we did see uh was that many central banks across the world actually increased interest rates kind of ahead of of the fed knowing that um the dollar is the world's reserve currency and you know, as U.S. interest rates go up, it's going to generally, you know, all else constant is going to make the dollar stronger. And that's exactly what we've seen happen. Um, and given that a lot of products like, for example, oil and energy markets are traded in U.S. dollars, it makes those prices even much higher in, in those countries. Um, it, I mean, it, and that's a that's a challenge. Um, but yeah, U.S. U.S. monetary policy is focused on the U.S. to the extent that global developments impact the U.S. economy through trade channels, you know, we definitely want to be aware of those um, and, and understanding how that's going to um, and how that's going to impact the economy. So when you think about it, you know, stronger U.S. dollars probably going to, you know, also mean that we can import more goods for, for relatively cheaper. So on the inflation side, that's a that's a that's a plus um, on the GDP side. You know, that's probably a negative because more, you know, more imports pulls down GDP. So. So that's that's probably less domestic production and more stuff coming in from abroad. Before we go into it, because I'm going to let Dave have the last question. Um, so, you know, because I got to let you rock on that on that question, Dave. So before we do that, the other question that I had and I had it prepared. Recession or not a recession? Are we in it <laughs> or is it coming? So. <laughs> I don't think we're in a recession right now based on the jobs numbers that we've been seeing. I mean, 
Recession means that there's a broad-based decline in economic activity. So that means that you have to see, you know, job gains slow to go ne- and ultimately go negative. The unemployment rate mm-hmm. would have to go up. Going back to what I said earlier, that means household incomes ha- have to fall in in real terms, which unfortunately they have growth has slowed. And I think the last number might have even been negative. So that would be a point that you could point to and say there's weakness. Um, and then production, business, you know, business productions and factory productions has to slow. Um, so that would be that's a, a possible point of weakness. I think the last industrial production number was a bit weak. Um, but the GDP numbers that we've seen come in, a lot of it's not from the consumer side. I mean, consumption's still pretty strong. It's this inventory management. So when businesses run down their inventories, that pulls down GDP because inventories are investment. Um, by a business, um, and then the trade component as also was a was a big one in the first quarter. Yeah. So I think when yeah. you look at the core fundamentals, you know household incomes still look pretty strong. Savings rates are are pretty strong. Consumption numbers have been pretty strong, even with inflation. Real terms, they look pretty strong. So I think we're in a good place right now. Um, the the real points of weakness have been on the sentiment, you know, and it, what's concerning about the consumer sentiment part is in my view i think a lot of it's driven by these high inflation numbers you kind of see that in the surveys so mm-hmm. getting again getting prices to stop growing as quickly as they are and stabilize would hopefully bring that sent the sentiment numbers back up and allow the economy to get to you know what we've been talking about as a soft landing um, uh, that doesn't mean a soft landing is pretty it just means it's soft <laughs> so, I mean, right? We just want to land yes. safe and sound. Um, and I think it's possible, um, but it's going to involve seeing some pretty good moderation in, in prices over the next couple quarters to where we don't have to, you know, see it happen in a painful way. The housing market kind of slowing is a real, is I think a positive sign for that occurring. Um, you know, that, that housing prices aren't going crazy anymore. Rents are, are kind of falling behind and ultimately going up. But, you know, that stabilization in the housing market is really important for, um, for I think, the economy to get onto a, a much more smoother path. Um, you know, the way it's been operating over the last couple of years is just really, I mean, that's kind of a pretty clear sign that things were, were overheating too quickly. Yeah. Real quickly, before, like, we, we let them rock, <laughs> Chuck, uh, I mentioned this earlier, FOMC meetings and Beige Book. Yep. Now, this beige book is very much so it's it's very important that really sets the stage for a lot of FOMC meetings. And you happen to be a part of this process. Your name is a part of that. Can you tell the people like, you know, what does Chuck, the beige book and FOMC meetings have to do with each other? And then Dave, stage is yours, brother. That's yeah, sure. So um not that your guys are going to go back and read transcripts from FOMC meetings, but they are publicly available with a lag of about five years. So one of the things that happens at an FOMC meeting is all of the reserve bank presidents from all across the country and all the governors, they go around the table and they share their views on the current state of the economy. Um, and in that process, they share what's going on in their federal reserve districts. Well, they get that information from, our directors at our board of directors here in St. Louis and our branch offices, and then from contacts throughout our communities. We share that directly with our, our bank president, Jim Bullard. And then what we do at the same time is we try to take that while preserving anonymity of the contacts, we distill it down into a two page summary and release it to the public a couple of weeks before the FOMC meeting. Um, and it tends to give an early sign as to, you know, what we're hearing from businesses and, and other key stakeholders in the economy as to kind of where things are at. You know, so some of the interesting things that, you know, we've been hearing over the last couple of months do with like the fact that, you know, and this was I know earnings reports are out now. So you kind of saw it with Walmart. But, you know, we were hearing about low end and discount retailers really starting to see a slowdown, you know, back in January. Uh, from the reports we were hearing, well, high-end retailers were telling us that things still looked pretty good. Um, that was typically a sign that, that you know the economy is starting to slow down a little bit, and unfortunately, it's it's hitting our low-income um, families the most. Um, but those are the kind of things that we're looking for when when we get these anecdotes um, is to understand the outlook and then ultimately, you know, what some of the key signs are in the in the economy. Um, 
you know, going back to, I'll give you one that we've cited a few times. We used to have a director that was in the timber business. And this was after the housing crisis. And I remember our research director telling me, we talked to him and he, he said, yep, orders are through the roof. I don't know what's going on. And we're like, wait a second, we're in the middle of a housing crisis. How, how is this happening? He's like, I don't know, but you know, people want lumber <laughs> um, to build houses. And that was right around the time that you know we, we saw things start to turn the corner. So those are the kind of little pieces of information that we're ultimately looking for. They may not show up in the data. And, and we put them into this nice little commentary that is the beige book. And then we call it the beige book. So I guess, you know, nobody really reads it. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting. All right, Dave, all you brother, take us home. Disruption, disruption, disruption. You know, we keep hearing that the pandemic was the great accelerator to disruption. So how has technology and the availability of instant information accelerated economic cycles that we're seeing? I think it's accelerated the, the amount of information that we're getting and unfortunately probably added more to the noise that you've talked about. Um, but I think the signals are still pretty stable. If I kind of go back over a hundred year history and look, the economy was much more volatile in the 1900s all through up into the Great Depression. And then by the 1990s, you know, things were relatively smooth. We just went through an economic expansion, you know, prior to this one that lasted like 10 years. Um, so it, it seems like it's causing a lot of noise, a lot more volatility. We're seeing, you know, challenges in financial markets now with automated trading and, and things like that, that, that cause some more disruptions. Um, but I think the overall cycle, it, it's, it still seems to be pretty stable as long as our institutions remain stable. That's really the key here. I mean, if, if we have if, if we have trusted institutions such as, you know, from state, local, federal government to the central bank, that's the key to really having, you know, a stable economy is having our institutions work the way that they're supposed to and that, you know, they operate the way they're supposed to. Um, and I think, unfortunately, technology has brought a lot of noise into, into this world. and It's made it harder to kind of understand those keys. Well, there's one last question. Chuck, what kind of cousin are you? Which cousin are you? I mean, you guys know by now I'm the talkative one. All right. <laughs> so, well, I heard it here first. Cousin Chuck, he's the talkative cousin. So good stuff. Okay. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for like literally just coming through and like giving us a flood of information. And you're always welcome here at the Come Up series because once you come on to the Come Up series, now you're knighted and it's like, hey, the doors are always open. So welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. All right. So y'all, I hope that you guys had your notepads running because I didn't see that much activity in the chat. So that lets me know that people were definitely writing down and everything else. And the questions that everybody was bringing forth that we presented to Chuck, um, amazing. And of course, I can't go, I would be so remiss if I did not say a special thank you to Cousin Dave. So here's the interesting thing about Cousin Dave that a lot of you guys don't know that brought Chuck here. If it wasn't for Dave literally starting forth on the process and literally coming forth with some of the questions and literally saying, hey, let's go ahead and just email the Federal Reserve and see where we see where we land. Yo, Chuck would not be here today. So shout out to you, Cousin Dave. And we felt we would be remiss to not have you on the show to be able to ask some of those questions and to be able to rock the stage with us. So thank you so much for geeking out with us, brother. And you know the stage, you know the doors are always welcome uh, hey, you know to you as well. <laughs> you know the vibes. Family, family vibes. Um, there's a request for um, Chuck, your aunt, um, Yvonne, to be on the on the show with you next time. <laughs> 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 well, auntie, she has to come on the show. That's so funny. That, that would be fun because she was definitely very lively in the chat and providing a lot of context. So yeah. um, definitely, uh, Auntie you Yvonne, my if you're alone. So they were probably. Yeah, so. She was definitely telling you to go ahead and geek out. So. And you definitely, I'm probably sure you definitely made her proud and the rest of your cousins. So, um, Chuck, thank you. Y'all, thank you so much for rocking with us and just gaining more insight and understanding. 
it's a difference from like seeing the things that we hear about on say for example mainstream media or whatever it is and it's a difference when we actually sit down and actually have the conversation to go even further in depth so we hope that this has helped you in understanding exactly not only just financial markets but also understanding economies how they work and looking at connecting the dots and the pieces to formulate the entire story outside of just looking at a specific signal and also being able to filter out the noise so that way we can get to some confirmations. All right, so until next time, I'm Mark Monroe, the wonderful, the cousin, accompanied by, <laughs> oh, go ahead, Dave. Which cousin are you? You know what? I'm, I'm, I guess I'm the engineering cousin trying to engineer a better economy for us. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. And then we got Chuck, the? Talkative guy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. And of course. And you already know Shalin GC and the place to be. And then I don't I don't need a cousin title. I'm just I'm I'm a cousin. The lady of leisure. That's right. First lady of leisure. And y'all, this has been your come up. Thank you so much for watching. We will see y'all next Tuesday, but also be sure to check out Supplemental Sunday. Oh, on, you never know what TiVo and Squad. Oh, you got oh, folks that want to say hi? Hey! hey. <laughs> How's it going? What's your name? Sorry, we, so, sorry, we took we took so long. But what's your name? Tell the tell the world who you are. Okay. Okay. How old are you? There you go. Six. You can tell him to smash the like. No. No. You wanted to tell him to smash the like button because no. you know he's addicted. Oh, you should have said it. <laughs> he chickened out. We got him next time. We got him next time. All right, y'all, we will see you next week, but make sure you check out Supplemental Sunday because, like I said, you never know what TiVo and Squad are have cooking in their world, but we will see y'all next week. The more you learn, the more you earn. Peace, y'all.